Fabulous, okay. So, um, hi everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled, How Did You Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. And today we are so lucky to be joined by Dr. Kate Dowling, who is founder and CEO of Sustainable Self. So uh, Dr. Dowling, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, that would be great. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Um, my name is Dr. Caitlin Dowling, or Kate, and I started my business, which broadly operates in the coaching and consulting space around sustainability issues uh, back in 2019. And our mission is to create greater harmony between human, natural, and technological systems. Wow, that sounds amazing. So I guess the question is, how did you do it and why should I care? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a pretty big question. (laughs) I think we'll start off with sort of what inspired you to join this industry? Sure. So back when I was in college, when I was um, in, in your shoes, I was studying international relations at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. And at that time in my developmental path, I was really passionate about learning and understanding um, environmental issues that we're facing as a human civilization. And largely at that time, again, you know, one of, one of the things that I, that I coach people on is, is something that I developed called the sustainable self model. And a a fundamental assumption of of this model is that space-time itself is the central organizing feature that drives evolution, right? So when I talk about um, myself back in college, um, it's because I'm illustrating the point that that our individual development, as well as our um, family or community or city or national or even uh, species development uh, happens in relationship to time and space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was 2009 when I graduated, and there was a huge economic recession yeah. occurring at that time. So there were really no jobs available for someone with a BA in international studies. Um, certainly, a lot of big companies were were on hiring freezes or um, simply you know, there were limited spaces available for people fresh out of college, right? This is the, the, the challenge facing a lot of millennials is um, that, you know, it's a one-two punch right now. We're now we're dealing with the global pandemic, but um, so, so at that time I went into advertising um, because it was the only job I could get. And I, you know, was very grateful for the job, but I was working for a huge narcissist who was only interested in making money and working with affluent um, luxury, luxury lifestyle brands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I asked myself, I said, what am I doing here? What really is, how is this fulfilling my soul? What needs are being met? What needs are not being met? And you know, I, I had one of these come to Jesus moments in my early 20s where I was like, you need to, to change course, right? So I went back to school and I got my doctorate in clinical and community psychology. 
Um, and while I was there, I did my doctoral research on emotions and global environmental problems because I was perplexed. I was like, why is it that we've known about these problems for over a hundred years and yet we haven't done anything about it collectively? What is, what is the challenge that we face as a human civilization in addressing these systemic interrelated challenges that we face? And that could, that could be, you know, the ecological collapse of species across the planet. It could be um, climate change, which is, you know, largely driven by economic activity um, and, you know, greenhouse gases being emitted into the atmosphere. What is it about these existential threats that cause up us to basically freeze, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and why is inaction, you know, happening? Why, why, why is the absence of action happening, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I got curious. I got curious about my own experience. I got curious about the experience of others. Um, and I conducted a whole lot of um, interviews with, with people of a, a, a variety of different backgrounds mm -hmm. to try and better understand the emotional experience of what this was like and, and you know, what really is going on here. Yeah. Um, and so all of that led me to understand more deeply that there really is um, actually a lot of emotional um, repair and yeah. healing that must happen simultaneously to our movement forward towards a more green economy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, we can't continue to operate on the assumption that we ourselves, our psycho-spiritual development is somehow separate yeah. from the larger planetary um, challenges we're facing. And so that really was the, the, um, the inspiration for starting Sustainable Self um, and, and really kind of drives the work that I do um, on a daily basis. Yeah, having those, having those conversations with people. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always a help that you're passionate about what you do and you really feel a connection to your work. So that's great that you're enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, great. you know, the truth is it's a little, <laughs> it's hard yeah. because it's, it's natural. I mean, I, I even notice, you know, of a lot of people, maybe even you, have a hard time talking about this subject. Yeah. Um, because it's really scary. It's profoundly scary, especially for young women, right? Um, many of us grow up imagining what it will be like one day to have a family and to, to raise children and to, in addition to our professional career development. And, you know, there's genuine fear uh, that, that, doing that, that making that choice for ourselves and, and our families um, will be, you know, not safe in the near term. I mean, look at what's happening in Texas right now as we speak. There's entire populations of people who are, who are freezing to death because infrastructure was not um, improved and weatherized in that area in anticipation of what we all know is coming, which is you know, more severe and extreme 
weather patterns. Um, and, and yeah. No, I would completely agree. These are such big problems, but the trickle down effect, you definitely also have to think about, you know, obviously the big problem is global warming, but we've got to see how it manifests itself in smaller, more, you know, urgent matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess my next question would be, um, you mentioned that you went back to school to get your doctorate, but are there any other resources that helped you along the way? Mentorship. Mentorship has been profoundly impactful in my life and my career journey. Um, you know, one of the things that a mentor of mine says and, and wrote about recently in her book, her name is Shelley Archambault. Um, she wrote a book called Unapologetically Ambitious. And, you know, she says it's incredibly important to seek out mentors in your career development, especially as women, but even more so as a, a woman of color. I myself am a white woman, but um, as more and more women from a variety of ethnic and racial backgrounds enter in, into the workplace and are wanting to take on leadership roles, it's incredibly important to seek support um, from mentors in your network. And if you don't have anybody, reach out to them and say, you know, start treating them like they're your mentor. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I would agree. <laughs> yeah, and then they will. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think anybody is willing to help if you just reach out to them and you know ask. Most people are. Yeah. Um, so, are there any lessons that you wish you learned before uh, starting in your industry? Well, I guess. I guess the one thing that I will say is it's not so much a lesson that I wish I would have learned before starting, um, but it's a lesson that I'm continuing to learn. Um, and one that I'm, that I talk a lot about in my work with, um, with individuals and with organizations, which is the, the, the other metric that isn't talked about um, with regards to climate change and addressing these big ecological problems we face. And that is something called heart-brain coherence. Okay. Have you ever heard of this? I haven't actually. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> Please <laughs> do explain it. <laughs> so heart-brain coherence is basically, a, a, it's a state, right? So it, it's a state that results from certain techniques, certain breathing techniques. A lot of people equate it to meditation, but um, really the, the main difference is that it focuses on actively generating positive emotions yeah. and visualizing through imagination um, the heart as the driver of your body's innate wisdom, right? So breathing in through your heart in through your nose and, and visualizing a space in your heart. You're welcome to try this if you'd like. Taking a deep breath, exhaling, and allowing all of that energy that you would typically carry in your mind to drop down into your heart center. Wow, I definitely yeah. felt that there. <laughs> yeah. So when you do this and when you practice this, you shift into what's called a state of coherence. Mm -hmm. And coherence most plainly 
stated is when your heart and your brain sync up and your brain waves enter into what's called an alpha wave state. Mm -hmm. So your brain shifts from beta, which is our, our standard uh, status quo place, yeah. to alpha waves, which is associated with higher levels of creativity, intuition, um, productivity, uh, inner peace, all of these wonderful, beautiful things, right? Your body relaxes your mind relaxes, and you're able to show up more fully for what's in front of you in that given moment. And the like secret little uh, um, fact that I, that I love to share with people is that when you are in this state of coherence, your electromagnetic field that is generated from your heart resonates at the same exact frequency as the planet. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So when people, you know, especially people who are, you know, consider themselves really um, serious, logic, problem solving, you know, um, people, which is, we need that right now. We need a lot of that right now yeah. to solve a lot of really difficult, difficult um, issues that we're facing. Mm -hmm. But if those people could solve their problems from a state of coherence, um, I have an inclination that things might uh, be a lot easier for everybody. For sure. I mean, I consider myself the most logical person because I am a computer science major, you know, I'm very like quantitative numbers driven, but I definitely felt something that it's good to be in touch with your feelings and re really what you're feeling. Yeah, absolutely. We have a tendency to think of the brain as the the only intelligent uh, center in the body, but you know, there's a reason why world traditions have called the 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 heart the you know the heart's wisdom, right, or the uh, the wisdom of your heart. Um, have talked about that for centuries. That's so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that. Of course. Um, so. My next question would be, um, what would you say is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Mm. Well, I've had a lot of failures in my life. <laughs> um, actually, I, I would say my biggest failure I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to, to call them failures even to be honest, because they're just so commonplace. I mean, often you, you shoot for the, for the stars and, you know, you fall flat on your ass. Like, I mean, I've, I can't even tell you how many times I've tried to win a, to win a contract or, or a pitch or something. And, you know, it doesn't work out 95% of the time, um, especially for women who want to be entrepreneurs, you have to get comfortable with failure um, and transmute it inside of yourself into an opportunity for growth. Uh, because, it, it, you know, honestly, in my book, there is no such thing as failure. It's just um, the universe's way of telling you that is not for you and to try again or try something new. No, I really like that. I think that's a really positive way to think about failure. And it's so easy to just get caught up in failure and think, oh, well, this is the end, but you've got to see it as a learning opportunity. Yeah, 
I, yeah, I, I've failed a lot of tests. Especially <laughs> in college, I can definitely relate. Right. <laughs> it's a big deal at the time, but you know, yeah. you'll get through it. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. Um, so what's one common myth about your profession that you would like to debunk? Now you have the chance, the stage is yours. Oh boy. Um, well, I would say a lot of, a lot of business people um, think psychologists are really just about, um, sorry, I'm getting a phone call from my dad. Um, <laughs> um, lucky me. <laughs> a lot of a lot of people in business think that psychologists are um, are, 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 are that, that the the knowledge gained from clinical psychology doesn't apply to organizational settings right um, it's it's sometimes you know obviously I'm I'm not working as a psychologist right now I'm a consultant and a coach yeah. but that's my background that's that's you know where I where I um, earn my stripes. And, you know, so I have to debunk a lot of the whole, oh, you're, you're, you're analyzing me, uh, assumptions about, um, you know, the work I used to do. And, and so for me, it's interesting because yes, the answer is yes, I am analyzing you. And if that's threatening, then maybe we're not uh, supposed to be working together because the reason people hire me is so that I can take the knowledge, education, and experience I have from that background and help you become better at what you do. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, so now moving on to some more questions about sort of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, have you listened to anything or read anything recently that's really inspired you? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm... I just picked up Bill Gates's new book, oh. um, which is How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm really excited about diving deeper into that. You know, Bill Gates is obviously a brilliant human being who built a multi-billion dollar uh, company. Yeah. Um, I myself was born and raised in Silicon Valley. So I remember, you know, the fury that was, uh, you know, Microsoft in the late nineties and early two thousands. Uh, and so, so I'm excited to, to dive more into it. You know, I, again, kind of my bias, right. And the, the assumption that I have about, about this work, having looked at climate change from, a different angle um, than most climate scientists is that there's an absence of emotional processing work that's um, actually, I think, a huge impediment to our progress um, in addressing some of these larger global goals. You know, he talks about how the only two metrics we need to be concerned about right now are 51 billion and zero. Um, Apparently it's something like 51 billion um, tons. Let me get this, let me get this correct. Uh, 51 billion tons of <clears throat> CO2 in the atmosphere that's emitted on a, um, annually needs to get down to zero by 2050. Um, so when you really, yeah, when you really allow that, the, the, the magnitude 
of just that one statistic to land in your heart, yeah. it's hard not to cry, yeah. to be honest, yeah. because it's really scary. Yeah. I can't understate how scary it is right now, what yeah. we're doing to this planet, yeah. the rate of change, um, the rate of species extinction. You know, if all of the Arctic ice melted, the sea level would rise 100 feet. Imagine all of the people that we're gonna have to relocate, mm. the, the, the physical infrastructure that we're gonna have to move in the next 20 years. It's mind boggling. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> It's a tool for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in order for us to be successful as a species at this, at this critical bifurcation point in our evolution, we have to um, feel this. We have to really feel it in our heart and in our soul, because if we don't, we won't achieve it. Yeah. That's so, so important. Yeah. Um, and you also mentioned that you um, had mentorship in your life. I was wondering whether you could touch upon sort of the three people who have been the most influential to you. Mm, sure. Dr. Theodore Burns. <laughs> he was my dissertation chair and he's just one of those brilliant um brilliant people with just such a heart of gold. Uh, he does, he, he works at Antioch University, um, Theo Burns. Um, Nancy Padot, Nancy Padot is a mentor of mine. She was the CEO of Party City for a number of years and she now has this fabulous luxury fashion line and lives in Paris. And um, she does all of these wonderful things with her time that I, you know, I think her business is called Salon Septime. Definitely check um, it out. <laughs> right. I know I need a, I need a new cashmere sweater. Um, and then I would say the other biggest influence um, for me has been a woman named uh, Joanna Macy. And I've, I've, spoken with her once on the phone and it was a really big deal for me. Um, but she, she is the author of a number of books. She's a world renowned Buddhist scholar. Um, and she, uh, writes about something called the work that reconnects, which is very much, um, one of the driving factors in my, in my work these days. So those three people. That's so lovely. And I guess we're wrapping up now. So um, my last question for you would be, what's one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? As a girl looking into the big world, what would you say? Breathe. Time is magic. That's so beautiful. So poignant. And there's so few words. (laughs) I love it. I love it. That's so nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Kate Darling. It was absolutely fantastic to speak to you. And I think after this call, I definitely agree. I understand how you did it and I understand why I should care. So thank you. Wonderful. Pleasure speaking with you. Thank you.